0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Why are you making up and telling yourself that what you think you want is impossible? And what is the payoff for you thinking that? A lot of times we have these unconscious payoffs of if getting what I want is impossible, then that means it's out there and it's not my responsibility. And since it's not my responsibility, I can't be held accountable for getting what I want, which then just keeps me in this perpetual state of staying small.
2: Are you getting the attention you deserve from your financial advisor? Well, if you're not, call our partner, Edelman Financial Engines at 833-304-PLAN or visit slash hermoney As a Her Money listener, you'll get a complimentary financial plan to help you decide. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining us today on Her Money. So I want to start today with a question. Actually, it's my favorite question. What do you want? What do you want most for your life? What do you want for your career? What do you want in terms of goals that you've set for yourself? What about those goals that seem almost too big, the ones that are so impossible that you only sometimes let yourself dare to dream? And I want you to get specific here. Because sometimes we might want success or we might have a vague notion that we want to start something of our own or we might want leadership opportunities at work. And, you know, all these things, they sound great in theory and they probably all look great on paper. But how do we know if those are the things that will truly bring us fulfillment in the years to come? In other words, yeah, we need to know how To get what we want, but we also need to know exactly what that is. We have to zero in on specifics because success or fulfillment or joy is just going to look different for everyone. So, how do we do that? Well, today we are talking with the woman who literally wrote the book on it. For more than 15 years, Julie Solomon's been working as a business coach and a life coach, empowering women with her successful online coaching programs and services, including Pitch It Perfect, The Influencer Academy, shine mastermind and empower you she's the host of the influencer podcast and author of the new book and i love this title get what you want how to go from unseen to unstoppable julie's joining me today from her home in nashville julie welcome thank you Jean. it's so great to be here and thank you for having me oh of course i want to start with you in the book you talk about the importance of identifying your origin story, which I love because it makes us all sound like superheroes, which of course we are. And you share the personal story of hiding over $30,000 of credit card debt from your husband and how his discovery led you down a new path. Tell me about this and what it means to realize your origin story.
1: Yeah, so it was, you know, just a typical Thursday. I was sitting at the kitchen table, typing away on my laptop, and I looked down, getting a phone call from my husband, and I pick it up and he just says, "Hey, hun, when were you going to tell me about the credit card?" And in that moment, it was like my throat fell into my stomach and my heart started pounding, and I just, I went into how do I fix this, how do I fix this, how do I fix this, because unbeknownst to him, I had been hiding over $30,000 of credit card debt from him that I had slowly but surely amassed for about two and a half years prior. And this credit card debt, and you know, I'll talk about my origin story, the reasons why I had debt, the reasons why I chose to hide debt, the reasons why I chose to stay delusional and in denial about my debt, all came from my origin story. I am originally from a small town in Tennessee. I was brought up by two working class people. They both did not go to college, and they really believed in this idea Of an American dream that when you go and you punch the clock, and as long as we have enough money to pay the bills and get by, you know, that is the working class American dream. And so, you know, we had humble means, you know, we were able to put food on the table and get by, but this idea of anything more wasn't possible. So, my origin story was one of scarcity, one of lack. It was also one growing up in the South. I had this mindset, this belief, this story that I chose to tell myself, Jean, that since I am a woman and I was never good at math and I'm not good with numbers, that I don't understand finances. And in fact, it's not really my job or responsibility to understand them because some fairy godfather is going to fly down from the sky and handle all of that for me. And, you know, I was raised around women who had no idea how to balance checkbooks. They had no idea how much money was in the bank account. They didn't know how the husbands were kind of budgeting money and spending money and whatever was going on. And so it was this idea of, well, you know, since I'm a financial toddler, I need someone to take care of my money for me. And so, you know, hopefully one day I'll marry this great guy and he'll make enough money and hopefully I will be, you know, warranted allowances so I can go and maybe, you know, spend money on things that I wanted to spend. And as I got older, I really rebelled against that origin story. Nothing repulsed me or repelled me more than the thought of my financial freedom being contingent on some man out there telling me that I could be financially free. So I had this vision and this dream of financial freedom and as I got older and I went to college and I got into corporate America, I was able to make good money. But the thing was, Jean, I still never learned about the basics of finances and budgeting because there wasn't a lot of money to go around when I was little. And so I had this kind of relentless dream of having all this money, but I would spend it faster than I could make it. And then of course behind that were all of these limiting beliefs, this shame around money, the shame around believing that I was worthy of the money that I was making. And it's really interesting now in my career. I don't know if you see this too, Gene, but I identify with this. I see women do kind of one of two things. They'll make money and they're so afraid of losing it. So they just kind of stockpile it and like stick it under the bed in a shoebox. <laughs> or they are like me and they'll end up spending it faster than they can make it. And so in this moment of being found out, which was my greatest fear of all, I had this gift of this discovery of this is a new rock bottom for me, and now how am I not going to waste it? How am I going to use this gift to finally free myself of this origin story that is not getting me to where I want to be?
2: So many of us have origin stories. We all have an origin story. We Sometimes we call it a money story. Sometimes we call it a money history. When I wrote my last book, Women With Money, I, I gathered Many of them, and you're right, unless you deal with it or like in your case are forced to deal with it, it's really, really hard to move past because you can't unsee it. You can't forget that it's there. It's going to hold on to you until you figure out how to use the new data that you know is true about your life and your self right now to move past it. So I guess my question is, how did you do that, right? How did you, because so many of us get this opportunity to wake up and rather than really waking up, we just sort of go along to get along.
1: And, you know, those patterns, the first step for me was awareness. And awareness is simply just you coming to terms that there is some kind of dysfunction in your life that exists that needs to change. And so when I, when I allowed myself to be aware and to be mindful, I would start to kind of take stock of, you know what has been my pattern with money, you know? And it it wasn't like I just woke up one day and decided to spend more than I had and slowly but surely collected debt. There was an entire lifetime of spending habits that were not healthy. And I knew that the reason why really dealt with my shame around not thinking that I was worthy of, of having more, having abundance and having money, and then my shame around this idea of, well, I'm not smart enough to understand finances or I was never good with math. And so those were the two kind of core things that I had to first lock in. So I went to therapy to really kind of work on that worthiness piece I started to read a lot of books about finances and you know kind of the mindset side of money and really understanding that money is just an exchange of energy and it's not this big, bad, scary thing that's trying to come to ruin your life. So there was a lot of mindset stuff that I had to work on. And then on the other end, with the tactics, with the tools, I had to start getting more tools in my tool belt. And I was aware of that as well. So I hired a financial consultant that could start really showing up and start teaching me things that I could embody. And even though I wasn't going to be filing my own taxes, I still needed to understand conceptually what was happening. I needed to understand how to read the data of my profit you know, and loss sheet instead of just kind of ignoring it. I needed to start really taking stock of those things, start forecasting, start budgeting, start really making a plan of where do you see your life in 10 years and how much does that life cost and let's start getting you there. And I think that that was the other thing that I would always have my head in the sand. Like I would say, I want to go to Italy and I don't. want a nickel and diamond but i would never actually take the time to figure out well how much does it cost cost to to go to italy (laughs) and not nickel
2: and diamond how much is that hotel that i want to stay in what i love about this is that you're approaching it from the two places where we limit ourselves right Mm. you're approaching it from the beliefs that limit us right i'm not good at math and by the way for all of you who are sitting there and saying yeah i'm not good at math There is not that much math in money, right? It is all addition, subtraction, percentages, and fractions, and that's it. You did this in fourth grade. It's called a calculator. Yeah. So don't even make the math argument anymore. But then you backed it up with education, right? You backed it up with the tactics, the how-tos. So as we deal with that first part, that limiting belief, you know, there are places in all of our lives, whether it's with our finances, whether it's with our careers, sometimes it's in our relationships, where we feel like we're just faking it. We feel like we're frauds, right? I don't want to use the word imposter syndrome because I don't really like it, but we haven't done it successfully, so we don't feel like we can do it successfully. How do you get that confidence and the clarity that helps you just take the next step so that you've then got one day under your belt of doing it well? Yeah, you know, I love that you use that analogy of the confidence and clarity piece because
1: I think for my experience and now what I see happen with so many women is that I would tell myself and I see other women telling themselves that, Well, you know, once I get the money, then I'm going to know what to do with it. You know, once I get the money, then I'm going to be confident enough to budget it. Then I'm going to be confident enough to figure out how much it's going to cost for me to go to Italy. Then I'm going to be confident to save or whatever that is. And so it's we're waiting for the confidence to get the clarity when, in fact, it's the clarity that creates the confidence, not the other way around. This is so true. And that was a huge... That was just a a mind-blowing moment for me, that it was the clarity that created the confidence. And so I think clarity comes from testing things out, not having everything go your way. I mean, that rock bottom moment of being found out, which was my biggest fear, gave me so much clarity, which then gave me the confidence to live the life that I have
2: now. It would have never happened the other way around. Now, this is exactly what we're doing. So I'm, I'm working with a woman named Karen Feinerman. I don't know if you know her, but she's on CNBC. And we're teaching investing. And we're teaching investing by having women invest, right? We're doing it. And when you do it, you see that you can do it. And that gives you the clarity, which brings the confidence down the road. For anybody who's interested in our program, you can find it on the Her Money website. It's called Investing Fix. But-, but Sometimes you just have to, I mean, fake it till you make it and then you'll, you'll succeed, you'll fail, but you'll know that you can. And, and that's the secret sauce, I think, to getting to confidence.
1: Me too. I think it's acting as if, you know, I would say, well, I would think to myself, well, who is someone that I make up and tell myself is financially sound and secure? Okay, named a person. What would that person do right now? And if I don't know, I'm just gonna guess. You know, I would think that they probably had some budgeting. I would think that they probably knew how much money that they had in their bank account. You know, it was just really simple things like that. And I think acting as if. And really, I think it's about you have to start acting as the person that you want to become. I couldn't wait for her to fall in my lap. I had to build her. And if I wanted to be financially free, if I wanted to be financially literate, if I wanted to be financially sound so I could have what is my ultimate mission in life, which is freedom, then I had to start building the tools that were necessary to get me there.
2: In your book, you talk about amplifying possibility, which you say amounts to having bigger what-ifs. What's so great about this is I think far too many of us dream far too small. So talk about this.
1: Yeah, you know, I think about what would have happened if I would have gotten started on this journey sooner. Everything I think meant to happen the way that it unfolded, but I have a younger half-sister, for example, who, same mom, different dad, and she was raised in a completely different financial situation than I was in. And so even now at the age of 23, she has a concept about money and investing and savings and just all of this stuff that wasn't given to me or warranted to me because there wasn't enough money to even talk about, to even save. But even that, I'm just wondering, for women like me, even if you don't have the money there, what if we would get started sooner with them? What if there were programs in place or people in place or systems or something in place to start teaching girls at a younger age what it means to be financially free, what it means to be financially abundant, what it means to think bigger in terms of what your possibilities are and work for someone or build your own business, you know, ask for the promotion or not, be a mom or not, whatever that may be for you. What if we just gave girls at a younger age these bigger what ifs and really took the burden of the limitations that I think society and our origin story and really ultimately ourselves that we put on ourselves?
2: Yeah. How do you know? If you're the one that's holding you back from these things, how can you recognize if your dreams are smaller than they should be?
1: I think the one big thing that I always recognized is that if I had something, first, if you spot it, you got it. So if I would see someone doing something and it kind of gave me that little tickle, that little, that's cool. That would be so fun if, oh, but, you know, but there's always that but. And so it's it's noticing how you talk to yourself about things that you witness and about things that you see, whether it's in your community or online or what have you. And so those were the little indications for me. I would see women doing really big things, and I would think to myself, ah, that's probably amazing. Wouldn't it be so nice to have that kind of job or that kind of impact or that kind of ability to travel in that way? But... And so it was those indications, again, when I started to become aware was when I really allowed myself to be less frozen. And when you're less frozen, you can thaw out a little bit to start to embody. I feel like for me at the time, I was so disconnected. I was so disconnected from, I would say these goals that I had and these desires and these wishes, but my actions were not backing it up. And so I was disconnected from what really needed to happen in terms of the principles and the tools that needed to be in place in order for me to start living out the life that I wanted. And so that was always a key indication. If you've got this idea that just won't go away, if you see things in other people that kind of light you up And maybe even sometimes you get a little repelled by it. Maybe you start to judge it. Dare I say, maybe you get a little envious or jealous. I say use that as a guidance and as a compass that's kind of trying to
2: give you a hint as to where it is that you may need to go and uncover. When we come back with Julie, we're going to get really tactical about knowing what we want, figuring out our path and getting it, getting those goals, realizing those goals. But before we do that, let me just talk a minute about when it's time to break up with your financial advisor or just to get a second opinion. It all comes down to this. Are you getting the attention that you deserve or are you settling? Our partner Edelman Financial Engines, they believe you shouldn't settle. They model more than 38,000 securities each month to stress test your portfolio through thousands of scenarios, very much like the volatility that the market is experiencing today. If you call 833-304-PLAN or visit planefecom slash hermoney, as a Her Money listener, you'll receive a complimentary financial plan to help you decide. I'm talking with Julie Solomon, author of Get What You Want, And let's get down to it. How do we do it? How do we get there? Talk me through the steps for number one, knowing what we want.
1: Yes. So usually the first reason that keep a lot of women especially stuck with getting what they want is one of two things. They either say, I can't get what I want because I don't know what I want, or I can't get what I want because getting what I want is impossible. So the first thing that I love to say to someone is, well, of course, you know what you want because you know what you don't want. So let's get really clear about that. Even if you just want to take out a sheet of paper or, you know, pick up your phone and just start making a list of all the things that you know that you don't want, things that trigger you, things that, are, you know, you're resistant to, things that you know are not conducive to to your goals, to what lights you up, to what brings you joy, and those those. That list of things, they're going to start being indications to where it is that you want to go. So, for example, if you say something like, I really don't want to be sitting in a cubicle anymore, that's going to give you some kind of indication of where you need to go next. Or, Mm -hmm. I really don't want to be living paycheck to paycheck anymore. It gives me so much anxiety, it drives me crazy. I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I personally know that feeling very well so okay so then what is that telling you and it's those little indications of what it is that we don't want and you know our brains are hardwired to focus on the negative so this easy process if you will is pretty simple because a lot of us could make really big lists really quickly of all the things that we know that we don't want but those are going to start giving you the indications the other idea of i don't know what i want or i do know i may know what i want but getting what i want is impossible that really goes back to that limiting belief and what are some of the stories or the belief systems that could be structured from your origin or maybe from traumatic events or experiences in your life are now shaping your perception or your lens of reality with that why are you making up and telling yourself that what you think you want is impossible and what is the payoff for you thinking that. A lot of times we have these unconscious payoffs of if getting what I want is impossible then that means it's out there and it's not my responsibility and since it's not my responsibility I can't be held accountable for getting what I want which then just keeps me in this perpetual state of staying small. So you have to really think about you know what is the payoff of me choosing to believe this story and is it possible for you to just just for a moment just to kind of see them as stories and not facts and see kind of what ends up revealing itself to you.
2: Yeah, yeah. It makes me think of, you know, that famous Oprah incident with Marianne Williamson, when she said, you know, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, but I'm going to get it wrong. You're not afraid of failing. You're afraid that you are more powerful than you ever imagined. You don't want to look at the upside, right? Yeah. Because the upside is really, really big. And I think that's true for a lot of us. We're afraid. What happens if we succeed? Do we lose our support systems? Do we lose our friends? Do we lose the life that we've been currently living? Right? Because when things change, for good or for bad, we have to adjust.
1: Yeah. When the script changes, the script changes.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. E- exactly. All right. So let's say we've done this, right? And we know what we want. How do we plot a path to get it?
1: Yes. I think the first thing is being rooted in a deeper why. So I call this your purpose. It doesn't have to be this kind of cosmic, ethereal thing, or it can be. A purpose can be as simple as, you know, for me, it's a lot of it stems on financial freedom. I want to be able to travel with my family and not have to nickel and dime the situation. There's a deeper purpose there of experience and memory. For some people, it may be, I want to have a deeper connection with the community around me. And so that is my deeper purpose. I want to create impact with my message and with the words that I speak. So that's why I want to write books or whatever that may be for somebody. So getting really clear on your why and I think a simple question that you can ask yourself it's a simple question but it may take some thinking is you know why do you want to get out of bed every day and do that big thing You know, what about it just tugs at you, that pulls at you, that even if it's a little bit scary, it just makes your entire body light up with excitement and curiosity. And why, why do you think that that is? So getting clear on your purpose first is key. Then you can move to your passions. I notice a lot of times that people think their purpose is their passions or their passions are their purpose, which can kind of keep us very stuck. Because it's like, well, you know, I have to keep at this job because it's my purpose. Or I have to keep doing this because because it's my purpose. It could just be your passions. I mean, for example, I look at, when I first started in my career, I was a publicist working in corporate America. Publicity is not my passion anymore, at least the way in which I used to work, but it's still a part of my deeper calling and my deeper why, but it's not a strong passion of mine. You know, nowadays my passions are podcasting and speaking on stages and writing books and coaching women, and so that's what my passion looks like. So you have to give yourself permission to let those passions pivot and to really allow yourself to evolve. As you evolve, your passions should evolve. So those are gonna be the things that I think really activate the purpose out. And so once you kinda get clear on some of the passions that you have and maybe that you wanna test out, you gotta get a blueprint ready. So, and I really kinda see this as as a recipe. You could go and try to bake a cake with no recipe, but the likelihood of it coming out, tasting the best that it could and and being at the right height and having the right density in it it, it's probably not going to be the case as if i was like hey jean i have a great you love chocolate cake i have the best chocolate cake recipe it's right here so you'll take my recipe and maybe you'll add some of the jean stuff to it you know maybe you want to put some cinnamon in it or coffee in it or whatever i was just thinking have,
2: i'm putting cinnamon in that I'm cake i'm putting
1: cinnamon in it but it's still a foundational recipe that we know that works and so i think a lot of times they try to niche down or they try to go after passions or they try to get what they want without having a plan in place. And I even think of the word discipline. You've got disciple and then plan in that word. So you have to be a disciple of a plan. So it's about finding a plan, a method, a framework, a formula that works for you. And this is where you know teachers and coaches can be great guides for this. I didn't have a plan to financial freedom, but I had the curiosity for it. So I went and I started working with people who could give me that roadmap. App. They had already paid the way, they're the experts at it. And now I can come in and I can activate and generate a lot of the path that they have already paved. And so I believe that those are really the, the first steps to be able to take the path of getting what you want. But you have to get over that mindset that getting what you want is not possible. You have to get over that idea that you don't know what you want because you do know what you want, because you you know what you don't want. And being open to being teachable and being coachable and learning new things, I think one of the biggest things that can keep keep people stuck is, oh, I tried that once and it didn't work out. You know, Jean, I tried investing that one time. It didn't work out. So yeah. investing doesn't work.
2: Yeah. The market took a tumble and I had a bad week, month, year and it didn't right. work out. But So yeah. clearly it
1: doesn't work. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, there's something called Wall Street that's been around for a long time. So clearly investing has to work. So maybe your plan just didn't work. So let's get you a new plan.
2: When you plan, do you have benchmarks? I mean, are you a break it down, smart goals kind of a person or do you do it some other way?
1: I really do love it. I do it more step-by-step. I love a step-by-step. And so I like to set goals up. I call them good, better, and best because I like to have kind of a nice range. This is a good goal, this is a better goal, this is like we're knocking it out of the park. And I think a lot of times when you're starting something out, you may not have you know any kind of numbers or data to be able to kind of even figure out, well, what should my goal be? Don't let that stop you. You've gotta just try it out, get the feedback, see what happens. It could even be as simple as, you know, my goal is to ask for a promotion at work. I want a 15% raise or, you know, I wanna be able to get some kind of profit share at the end of the year or something like that. So you get clear on those numbers and then you start to formulate a plan of, okay, I'm gonna go in here. This is what I'm gonna say. This is how I'm gonna say it. And then you have to ask yourself, am I going to be willing to walk if I don't get what I want? And these are all things that are going to be relative to each and every person that you're going to have to really dive into. And so this is where a lot of the other things that I love to teach and talk about come into play, like pitching yourself and Mm -hmm. negotiating for what you're worth. Being a publicist for as long as I was, I really did learn the art form of pitching. I do think that it is an art form. It's also part of our daily lives, whether we realize it or not. You know, I was just pitching my husband on what we were going to have for dinner tonight. I was, you know, trying to negotiate with my son on how much, you know, pad time he was going to get today. And so these two principles, it's like the weather. I mean, we're not getting away from it. So the more that you can learn how to advocate for what it is that you want, to speak up, you know, to say what you mean, to mean what you say, to not say it mean, and to really learn again those methods of negotiating for what you want and be willing to walk away, or to ask for something else, I think is key. And one of the, I think the best questions for any negotiation is what would it take?
2: What would it take to get it done?
1: Yeah. You know, you go ask for a raise and they say no, just say, okay, well, what would it take? Let's talk about this.
2: Those are magic words, 100%. Some people, sometimes me, are people pleasers, right? To a fault, we have a fear of. Disappointing other people. I was remembering, I don't even know why I was remembering recently the one time I really broke curfew when I was a teenager. Like, I didn't even have a curfew. I had parents who said, Do what you think is right, which, by the way, for all parents, is like the worst thing you can say to your child. But they said that, and I did what I knew was wrong, and they called me on it. And, you know, my father said, Well, he was so disappointed, right? And that is, it's just the worst, right? I mean, how do we move beyond being afraid that we're going to disappoint other people? I mean,
1: a tool that I learned a very about five years ago, which really saved me a lot, was Q-tip. Quit taking it personal. And it can be hard to not take things personal. But I think that the more that we start to embody what it is that we want, the more that we start living out our purpose, the more that we know that we are living in integrity and that our side of the street is clean the easier it is to not take it personal. It's actually a very loving thing to do, to not take it personal, because when you don't fall into that that trap of, of pleasing and delaying your own happiness at the expense of trying to make somebody else happy, you're allowing people to see who you really are. You're creating healthier boundaries for yourself. You are, again, advocating for what it is that you want. You are showing people who you are. It's authenticity. So it's a very loving thing to actually not be a pleaser and to really You know, remind yourself of whatever may happen out there is fine, but it really is none of my business how anybody's going to act or react to me. It's really about me keeping my focus on my deeper calling, why I'm showing up. I know that I'm not harming anyone, including myself, so I know my side of the street is clean. And that's a big thing for me when it comes to people pleasing and and how I've really helped myself kind of get out of that. I had to start creating a lot of boundaries.
2: Do you have magic words that you use to say no?
1: Yes. So I love to pause. (laughs) That will help me because a lot of times it's hard to say no. And so if I can't say no, I'll say, okay, can I get back to you on that? Let me get back to you on that. Can I get back to you on that tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Because it's interesting how the world kind of has a funny way of doing for you what you can't do for yourself and kind of like figuring things out and working things out. And before I was such a pleaser that I would jump in and I would say yes and I would try to fix things that people didn't even ask me to fix and control things and overshare and overcompensate and all of this stuff to try to feel powerful and feel loved and feel seen. And when I was able just to give myself a little bit of that power of the pause, and just a little bit of space between someone wanting something from me and me responding, that helped a lot. Another acronym that I love to use is called WAIT, and it stands for Why Am I Talking? Mm. And that has really helped me with people-pleasing. Why am I talking right now?
2: Yeah. I love this.
1: Is it helpful? Is it? Did someone ask me a question? That's another one. Wait for the question mark. You know, there's been so many times that I'll jump in to like fix and please and make everybody happy. And I'm like, I'm sitting here giving them solutions to a question that they never even asked me. That's interesting. Why am I talking right
2: now? I have loved every bit of this conversation. You're right on, and I would love to have you back and talk to you again at some point really, really soon. What's your last best piece of advice for our listeners who are struggling right now to get what they want and where they want to be?
1: I want them to know that they can't hide themselves and expect to be seen. For me, that was something I was hiding my fear about money. I was hiding my fear about my shame, my ability to show up in a deeper way. And so we can't hide and expect to be seen. Julie Solomon, where can we find more of you? You can find me at juliesolomon.net. That is my brand new fabulous website mm-hmm. where you can learn all about me. And then, of course, my brand new book, Get What You Want, How to Go from Unseen to Unstoppable is wherever books or audiobooks are sold. So you can grab that wherever you love to get books. I am doing a free workshop. a Get What You Want workshop later this summer in August. So if you decide to purchase the book, head on over to juliesolomon.net slash get what you want and just follow the instructions there and you'll get a free ticket to that live event. And then the influence podcast every wednesday wherever you love to listen to podcasts i'm over there helping women grow their personal brands and businesses and then i tend to hang out most on instagram and you can find me there at jules j-u-l-s solomon s-o-l-o-m-o-n
2: amazing we will do all of those things thank you so much for being here thank you for having me jean And before we dive into our mailbag, let me just remind everybody, her money is supported by BCU and BCU is a credit union that helps its members take control of their money using a variety of financial tools and resources. BCU's passion is to empower people to discover financial freedom. They do this by providing caring support and services that create the value that you deserve. If you're interested in learning more, just go to bcu.org. Catherine Tuggle, of course, joins me for our mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. Good to see you. I love that conversation with Julie.
0: She was so dynamic in so many ways.
2: Ah, such a pleasure. Yeah. I walked away thinking of all these tools that I now have in my arsenal for dealing with things just in my day-to-day life, which I love.
0: Yeah, I loved her discussion of how, if not for making those mistakes, that we would not end up in the better places in life that we are able to find ourselves. It's like the saying in yoga that you can't
2: have the lotus without the mud. I've never heard that before. As you know, I'm not a person who can touch my toes, which leads me to not go to yoga class. But yeah, I think that's true. I think we have to go through the hard stuff in order to, or the unpleasant stuff, in order to figure out strategies for you know getting to the good stuff i have been running with peloton lately i like to get outside and exercise when the weather is nice rather than hopping on the bike and so i'm using the app and i like several of the running coaches a lot particularly this guy matty majakamo who ends every class by saying inhale the good shit and exhale the bullshit And I think that's fun. I love that so much. That's like, needs to be my mantra every day. Exactly. Exactly. Plus he has really good music and he's just motivating and he loves Broadway. And so he's my guy. Love that. Let's answer some questions.
0: So today we just have one question because it is a long one and I wanted us to give it the attention it deserves. Okay. It comes to us from Trisha. She writes, hi Jean. I had joined the last Finance Fix class, and I was lucky enough to get a chance to ask you a question, and I wanted to follow up with more information that you can help clarify. I had a question regarding how to think about a pension-defined contribution into the target retirement amount I should have saved up by age 60. So here it is. I'm a government employee in the City of Seattle with 23 years of service, and I'm lucky to have a defined pension as my main retirement plan. After 30 years of service, just under eight years from now, I'll be eligible for full retirement with a pension of 60% of my highest salary. I currently have a gross pay of $164,000, and if I assume a conservative 2% COLA growth in my pay for the next seven years, I'll land at $88,000 at age 60 and could retire with a pension of 60% of that, 188000 at 60% is about $100. Thirteen thousand. That's $113,000 annually or $9,400 monthly. I do realize taxes will take a large chunk out of this amount for a much smaller take-home pay. I also contribute as much as I can, not yet maxing out the optional deferred comp 457B plan that's available to us, There's no match, but we can choose mutual funds within the nationwide 457 that's offered, and I have it in a Target Retirement Vanguard Growth Fund. My current value in this additional plan is 123,000. I'm 51, and I'd like to retire at 60. I understand I'll have to cover my health care until Medicare and Social Security kick in. I did finally get into my Social Security record, and at age 65, the monthly benefit is saying that I would have 2,800 a month Or, if I wait till 67, it'll be $3,300 a month. We're in the last two years of our only child's college. We have no debt other than our home, which we're trying to pay off in the next 10 to 15 years, so we'll be able to catch up on investing as much as we can in the next eight years. My husband also works with the city of Seattle and is in roughly the same situation, with just five years less in service. For me how do I look to see how much more I should be trying to save or invest to hit our retirement goals? Our goal is a full 30 years of service to get our pension, but that will bring us to age 60 and we'll still need to cover the gap until age 65 to 67. I'll look to a smaller part-time work option as a second career or side hustle just to stay busy, but hopefully I won't really need it for income. Thanks for any guidance you can provide and all the help. I really enjoyed the Finance Fix class. It was so great to connect with others and learn from each other. I love the discipline of tagging my expenses every Friday and seeing areas of spend to maximize areas to save more. I appreciate your style of teaching personal finance even more now that it's geared toward women.
2: So this is such a an important question. And Trisha, first of all, thank you so much for the nice words about finance fix. I think that's what most people like about the class the most, right? That yeah. It's an opportunity to have these conversations with other women about money that we don't get to have all the time. Yes, you know, you're working with a coach and but it's this group dynamic where women from all over the country at different ages and different stages, the groups are usually 12 to 15 people, help each other, talk through things with each other, support each other. And that's a lot. That's big and that's meaningful and it makes you feel like you're a lot less alone. So I appreciate you being in the class and you pointing that out. We don't talk about pensions enough on this program because Quite frankly, not that many people have them anymore, but teachers certainly do. State employees certainly do. And so let's talk about how pensions factor into the math that I often throw at you about the retirement benchmarks, right? How many times have you heard me throw out these benchmarks that were developed by Fidelity Investments that you should have one times your annual income put aside for retirement by the time you're 30? you should have three times by the time you're 40, six times by 50, eight times by 60, and 10 times by the time you actually retire. These were developed for people who earn between $50,000 a year and $300,000 a year. They assume you do not have a pension. They assume you're going to get social security and that when you combine these savings with Social Security, it will be enough to cover about 80% of your pre-retirement income in retirement. And the job of your particular savings piece, putting Social Security off to the side, is to cover about 45% of your pre-retirement income. So for people who have a pension, you can save less by the amount that your pension will cover. And the number to focus on is that 45%. And how much of that 45% your pension will cover? So if your pension will cover two-thirds of that 45%, then two-thirds of your 10x is already taken care of, and you really only have to save three and a third times your annual income. If half of that 45% is taken care of by your pension, then you have to save half of your 10x. Catherine, does that make sense? Yes, it does. You're thinking. I
0: I was thinking as you were talking, I mean, it makes sense. I feel like I would want to see it on paper to fully understand it.
2: Yeah, and Trisha, I think based on the math that you laid out for me, you certainly can put it on paper. My bigger concern, quite frankly, for you, is that gap between age 60 and when Medicare kicks in, and Social Security, depending on when you decide to take it. When you look at stepping back from your day job, I would be really focused on finding a side hustle or a second job that gives you medical insurance, that pays you medical benefits, unless because your husband is five years behind you on the clock, you're actually going to be able to piggyback on his benefits, And that is totally a possibility. But I think sometimes when we make these decisions to retire before Medicare kicks in, that's the thing that becomes difficult and much more expensive than we might have imagined. So as you close in on that goal, just pay a little bit more attention to what you might be able to do in order to reduce the costs of health insurance. And then I think you're going to be just fine.
0: Yeah. The health insurance is such an important piece of this. And she realizes that. I love the thoughtfulness that she's putting into this whole situation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I hope that the math made sense. You may have to rewind and listen to this one more time in order for the math to make sense. If it doesn't, let me know and I'll put pencil to paper and and try to figure it out with you. We can try to figure it out together. But I think you've got this.
0: Thank you so much, Jean. And to anybody listening who hasn't heard of Finance Fix, you can find more details about our classes at financefix.com. And Fix has two X's. I just went to a class last night, and it was amazing. So we would love to see you there.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Catherine. Today's episode is also sponsored by Honey. I'm a big online shopper. No surprise. Always have been. It saves me time. And thanks to Honey, it sometimes saves me money. If you haven't heard of Honey, it is a free shopping tool that basically scours the internet for the promo codes that are available and applies the best ones that it finds to your cart at checkout. Honey recently saved me 20 bucks, for example, on a new pair of running shoes, and it was super easy to use. When you check out, the Honey button drops down, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. Then you wait a few seconds as it searches, and if Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the price drop before your very eyes. And so if you're not using Honey today, you could be missing out on some savings. It's free, it's easy, and it only takes a few seconds to install. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash hermoney. That's joinhoney.com hermoney. In today's Thrive, most Americans live paycheck to paycheck. There's no doubt about that at hermoney.com. We've got a rundown of how you can put an end to that uncomfortable cycle. While the fact that many Americans live paycheck to paycheck isn't exactly breaking news, there's another layer that is. Half of Americans earning 100,000 or more a year are now living paycheck to paycheck. That's according to a new report from Lending Club and Payments.com. The huge jump in inflation is hitting more Americans, including those who earn more. And the biggest group affected? millennials. Three in four millennials, 75%, are living paycheck to paycheck, while that number is just 56% for baby boomers. And believe me, breaking out of the cycle can be tough, but it is possible. First, Before you can find a solution to your issue, you need to uncover the problem. Start by tracking your expenses for a month to understand exactly where your money's going. Next, build a budget. And and that should include how much money you have coming in on a monthly basis, including all your sources of income, side hustles, and social security. And if it's that line of the equation that needs work, Just go back and listen to this podcast from the start. Julie had so many good thoughts on increasing the left side of your budget equation, on the fact that sometimes it's not enough to deal with the expenses. Sometimes it's a matter of upping your income and believing that you actually have the power to earn more is the very first start. Then you turn to the right side of the equation and you jot down a line for every monthly expense, whether it's a mortgage or a cheap subscription service, you write it down. Once you've got a clear picture of everything, it's time to make changes. For instance, If you and your partner work from home, would it make financial sense to go down to one car? Could you reduce the amount you're dining out? How would you speed up paying down that debt? Whether you opt for a debt avalanche, my favorite, where you pay off the debt with the highest interest rate first, or a snowball where you focus on the debt with the lowest amount owed, you need to choose one you could stick with until your debt is paid in full lowering your expenses and shifting where your money goes yes it takes a little bit of time it takes a little bit of effort making these changes isn't always easy just keep in mind that creating and maintaining new financial habits is something that can stick with you for the rest of your life thank you so much for joining me today on her money thanks to julie solomon for the great conversation If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk soon.